trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Off we go into a brand new month. A lot of unknowns ahead of us, but uh, I'm in, I am more optimistic that uh, the greatest days we have yet to see are ahead of us. That doesn't mean that we're going to have carefree, you know, just simple, comfortable times. I think we're in the midst of some pretty crazy stuff. That's part of a historical cycle called the fourth turning. But you and I, I believe we're born for this time. And so to that end, I am less concerned with convincing you that I have the answers or that I'm right about this issue or that issue, but uh, more convinced than ever that uh, what I need to do is try to persuade you that this is the time to get clear on who you are and what you stand for. Not which political party you support, not which candidate is going to ride to the rescue, but who you are and how you are going to impact the world wherever you happen to be standing. So if that doesn't scare you away, then I would say pull up a chair. Come find some friendship and, and courage among your fellow wrong thinkers. And by the way, I want to point out I've got some great sponsors who make this show possible, including Dixie Chiropractic, HSL Ammo, Sewing and Quilting Center, Monticello College, also Life Saving Food, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and GovernYourCrypto.com. So I've, I've only seen a few clips of the White House Correspondents' Dinner which took place over the weekend. And look, I don't follow a lot of, uh, I don't follow Washington personalities. I don't follow politicians. I, I stopped watching mainstream news quite a while back, like five years ago or more, when it was clear that it's just not adding value to my life. But, you know, they like to get together on a yearly basis and they have this, you know, black tie. Oh, look at us. We are the White House correspondents and we are the ones who are the guardians of truth. And, it's, it's ironic, especially in a time where there's so much talk about, well, you know, truth is important, yes, and that's why we need government to control whatever your access is to the truth, because only our version of truth is what you can believe, and we've got to protect you from misinformation. And to do that, well, we're going to necessarily have to curtail free speech. And So I'm going to be on a little bit of a rant for, for the next few minutes. Just got to get a few of these things out of my system. It's free speech really matters. And I don't just say that because I talk for a living. It matters because anybody who wants to mess around with, uh, with ideas is trying to control reality. In fact, uh, what's, what is the, the phrase? Um, I think it was uh, Glenn Greenwald. Sorry, I got to pull this up real quick here just to, just to, to, to bring you up to speed on this. It was, uh, oh, I don't remember who said this, but uh, but I saw this on Twitter over the weekend. It says there's no single idea more clear or powerful in the book 1984 than this. Totalitarians will seek to control speech because it will allow them to control reality. That's why you should beware those seeking to control speech. Plain and simple. Now, of course, when the when the White House uh, you know press corps gets together now that Trump isn't there, you know they're all celebrating and you know fawning over the president and um, you know 
this is this is what they consider their jobs. We are the ones. We are part of the elite. We are part of the connected. We are the ones who make everything good happen. The sun, I'm sure, rises in the morning because they are doing their jobs. I want to play a little clip from Trevor Noah, who was the closing speaker at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And I'm not trying to pick on him in particular, but this is the mindset that holds sway among so many of the reporters within the nation's capital, whom I believe are, are mostly highly paid liars and propagandists. Listen to what he has to say. Every single one of you, whether you like it or not, is a bastion of democracy. And if you ever begin to doubt your responsibilities, if you ever begin to doubt how meaningful it is, look no further than what's happening in Ukraine. Look at what's happening there. Journalists are risking and even losing their lives to show the world what's really happening. You realize how amazing it is. Like, in America, you, you have the right to seek the truth and speak the truth, even if it makes people in power uncomfortable, even if it makes your viewers or your readers uncomfortable. You understand how amazing that is? I stood here tonight and I made fun of the President of the United States, and I'm gonna be fine. I'm going to be fine, right? <laughs> yeah, you are, because your name isn't Julian Assange. Sorry. <laughs> it's just so, it's so blatant. I mean, if your name is Julian Assange, well, we're going to find some reason to uh, throw you in jail and hold you there until we can finally extradite you and then either execute you or put you in a gulag for the rest of your life. But yeah, other than that, you have the right to seek the truth and speak the truth, even if it makes people in power uncomfortable. Now, I know this is going to sound radical, but I'm going to say it anyway. The people who are making those in power uncomfortable are very likely people you ought to be listening to, at least considering. I'm not saying you have to agree with them, but if if they're not making people in power uncomfortable, and yes, that would be the Ammon Bundys and, and others in the world who are willing to... to get arrested who are willing to make the com- the uh sorry the 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 uh, the powerful feel like oh my goodness this is threatening everything that's good and decent about us it's not because they're trying to upend democracy it's because they're trying to stand up and say no when someone is uh, <laughs> when someone's trying to to otherwise tamp down your freedoms now in the context of for instance uh, you know the, a lot of the free speech issue right now is centering over twitter and I want you to hear uh, CNN's David Zurawick talking about how dangerous it is that Elon Musk is buying Twitter. We ought to look to Europe for some, uh, you know, some ideas on how we can regulate free speech. Listen to the hysteria over the possibility that uh, freedom of speech may be a little less fettered on Twitter. This is simply remarkable. No, I think there's a bigger problem that when we focus on the personalities of people like Elon Musk and people say, oh, I think Elon's thinking this or that. There's a bigger problem here about how we are going to control the channels of communication in mm-hmm. this country. In 1927, we had the Radio Act. 1934, the Communications Act. Congress stepped in. We made rules. FCC wasn't great, but it's still regulating the broadcast industry. You can't use vulgar language. You can't do all these things with speech. We gave over our, our what amounts to our airwaves or our Internet waves to Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk. And we are in so much trouble 
because those guys believe in making money. We've already seen that with the 2016 election mm. in Zuckerberg when he was taking rubles for ads from Russia and saying, oh, I think it's crazy to think they had any influence on this election. Mm. Musk is the same. Musk doesn't want it. Oh, you know, he's upset with the SEC, tried to, how dare they question him? You know what I'm saying? This is dangerous. We can't think anymore in this country. We don't have people, <laughs> no, I'm serious. We don't have people in Congress who can make regulations that can make it work. I think we can look to the Western countries in Europe for how they are trying to limit it. But you need, you need controls on this. You need regulation. You cannot let these guys control discourse in this country or we are headed to hell. Wow. That is the statist creed right there out in the open. And, and he's not the least apologetic for it. Again, this is David Zerowick from CNN. Anything that is not under the direct control of the state is by definition out of control. Okay, that's all fine and dandy until you're talking about free speech. And and don't make the mistake of thinking, well, no, they just want to stop people from spreading hateful messages, man. And, you know, harshing everybody's buzz with, like, you know, realities that we don't really want to face, dude. No, it's, it's all about uh, determining what you are allowed to say, the words you are allowed to use, the ideas that you're allowed to even consider, which in turn controls the reality i mean if you if if you take this word off the table you take this idea off the table the ability to express it freely suddenly you know you're living in a different reality and sadly i think there is a <laughs> there's a real reality deficit in the in the country today so so the cure is not going to come from a politician it's not going to come from a regulator and it's not even going to come from a beloved media figure such as me that's uh, going to sit here and tell you everything that's real and everything that isn't i can't you know why i don't know there's so much going on and there and i and there's things i haven't seen or experienced or analyzed myself i can't possibly tell you this is true and that isn't but what i can tell you is something that I've actually been practicing for the last, oh, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And that is, you have the ability to propaganda-proof yourself. You have the ability to, to own your fact-finding, truth, or fact-checking, truth-finding abilities. You have that capability. You've been persuaded not to trust yourself, though. How could you know that? What, what are your credentials? You know what your credentials are? You're a freaking living, breathing human being who has God-given rights that are yours by virtue of the fact that you are processing oxygen, and nobody, no matter how important, no matter how credentialed, nobody has the right to tell you what you can think or what you can consider. Sorry if it sounds a little bit uh, (laughs) ranty here, but this is way important than most of us realize, and I worry that we may find out only after we've lost something irreplaceable. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. I want to give a quick shout out here to Dixie Chiropractic. You can go to DixieChiro.com to learn more about this amazing sponsor couple things I want you to pay attention to, and that is a couple of introductory specials they have. Here's a $99 intro special with two treatments plus massage. This is if you're dealing with the bulging herniated discs, $99. 
You get two treatments plus a massage. You can simply call their office, go to Dixie Cairo to get the phone number. Or if you are dealing with neuropathy, here's the $99 Calmare treatment plus massage. Again, DixieCairo.com. If you're dealing with car accident injuries, they can help you. You know, by law, people's uh, car insurance has to carry a certain amount of uh, of coverage. So chances are you'll have even you'll have no out of pocket costs. But again, get the uh, get the info directly from the source. Go to DixieCairo.com. It's be great news for all my listeners in Southern Utah. All right, <clears throat> let's dive in to a few different topics today. And again, I, I'm. I'm just adamant. I don't want to tell you what to think, but I really want you, as as you look at all the crazy stuff that's going on around us, and and I'm sure I'm not the only person who's feeling sometimes a little bit <clears throat> overwhelmed at at just the the magnitude of the the um, surreal atmosphere that's developing around us. Th- things are so inverted, and focusing on politics is not going to scratch the itch. I'm not telling you you have to disengage entirely, but I'm saying so many people put so much effort in there. But if you really want to stand your ground, you're going to have to do something more than be, you know, politically active and, and back the right candidate. You've got to keep your focus where it belongs, and that is on your values, on your virtue. And that can be hard because the chances are really good that uh, most of us haven't spent that much time really sitting and thinking about who am I? What do I stand for? I'm actually going to have a friend come on and join me on the show here uh, very soon to to talk about uh, how he wrote uh, a a list of what he believes in. And that may sound self-serving to some people. Well, uh, this is what I, this is my manifesto. Here's how I see the world. But the clarity that comes from understanding your virtue, understanding your values, the things that really matter to you, is this in amazing protection against being distracted, about being hyper-focused just on the lies or the crumbling foundation all around us. If you are focused on really living up to your virtue and your values, you're building something worthwhile. You're building something lasting. And you're fortifying yourself against you know the cowardice that is going to make most people absolutely ineffective when it really counts. Sorry if that sounds harsh. I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm just saying most people are just, well, I don't know. (sighs) Sounds pretty scary. So let's talk a little bit about uh, propaganda-proofing yourself. I'll warn you, it's like training for an Ironman triathlon. (laughs) It is a consistent effort. It's not easy. It is only worth it. Absolutely worth it. I uh, one of one of my favorite Substack accounts that I'm starting to to visit on a daily basis is Bad Catitude. This is uh, Borequato uh, Gato, and whoever writes writes under the pen name El Gato Malo, and they talk about the right kind of propaganda. Pro tip: We need to only have the good kind of propaganda. Is the same as saying we just need smarter guys to make socialism work next time. And as an example, the news story uh, was finally acknowledged over the weekend by the BBC, by uh, New York Post, among others. I mean, in other words, some very uh, well-placed mainstream media finally admit that the ghost of Kiev never existed. Ukraine now admits that it was invented to boost morale. Strange how no orgs fighting disinformation interrogated it, though. Huh. Strange. Almost like the whole U.S.-U.K. disinformation program is just another form of information warfare. 
And by the way, this is this is not new. This is something that's gone on. China or communism has destroyed Vietnam, China, North Korea, Laos and Russia. But communist supporters seem to be thinking one more time we can get it. And disinformation is always a part of, you know, the effort to push bad ideas on people who otherwise would uh, would probably not accept them if they were offered alternatives. Elgato Malo says, because no one could ever be fit to determine such things, even if we tried with all diligence, candor, and honor to choose these adjudicators, they wouldn't be capable of the task. And if you think that's how this process is going to go, he says, well, I'd like to discuss some really promising opportunities in suspension bridge real estate with you. Now, there are all sorts of miscalibrated misanthropes who will wind up at the trustees of truthiness. Here's someone who tweeted from the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And, I mean, they're showing this huge ballroom filled with people. Listen to this tweet. This room is like a horror film. No exits. Literally getting trapped between tables. Fear of breathing near people, but people are everywhere. Creeping sense that you're the only one who knows this is insane. Does that sound like a well person to you? And uh, El, El Gato Malo says they are neither sane nor reasonable. The path here is clear. In the 1980s, it was violence is violence. In the 2010s, we learned that words are violence. But now, in the 2020s, we have graduated to experiencing basic reality is violence. So I guess it won't be long now before hallucination is mandatory. In fact, the one who sent that, Jada Yuan, who sent that, oh, this room's like a horror film tweet. El El Gato Malo says, uh, Jada, who writes for the New York Times and the Washington Post, is about a half inch from landing here. There's a picture of a cat in this frilly dress, and it says, How dare you call me mentally unstable on this, the day of my cat's quinceanera. (laughs) And many in her tribe are already well past there and always would. Here's somebody who was sitting at the White House Correspondents' Dinner with a a CO2 monitor. Wow, a CO2 concentration reading at the uh, White House Correspondents' uh, Dinner tonight. At 8.20 p.m., a CO2 of 2233 is over 5.5 times higher than outdoors and is a sign of very poor ventilation. They should have added more air disinfection at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I wish I was joking. I wish this was Babylon B stuff. That's real. Someone actually tweeted that. And El El, El Gato Malo says, This is the terrible price of raising lunacy above reason and elevating victimhood, aggrievement, and fragility above attainment and virtue. And they feel not just entitled, but actually morally required to exaggerate, lie, and fabricate threats to you to get you to do the right thing. Because these people wear crazy pants, and they like it. This is the genesis of the neurocracy, the rule by the most neurotic. They love their masks, their OCD-driven needs for unattainable control, and they despise your freedom. Letting the most afraid and bullying wield the whip hand to force you into acquiescence of their narratives of anxiety, that's how freedom fails. It elevates precisely the wrong people to prominence and entrusts them with power that even an idealized, beneficent philosopher king could not and should not wield. And this is exactly what the woke must inevitably do. It selects for the least calibrated, most performatively dramatic. And honestly, it's getting perilously perilously difficult to discern parody from pointing at the left fence field and calling your shot though perhaps their own uh, actions may provide some hints. 
This rise in politics as drama student, drama queens as leadership has led to some of the more led some of the more attentive to start asking questions. Eric Hartman, for instance, asks, why does it seem like all the top Dem officials and politicians are failed drama majors? Elgato Malo says, my guess is because they're the very model of a modern fascist general with information farcical, doctrinal, and hypocritical. (laughs) If one inhabits a system where those who must successfully profess their victimhood and agreement get to wield the power, what could be a better background for power-seeking than theater and a penchant for histrionics? We're electing the best liars with the least grounding in reality giving them control of words and truth and the ideas of credentials and misinformation is how you land in a very bad place and you're not going to like it every nation that fell to authoritarian totalitarianism didn't think it could happen here and they ignored the signs they ignored the derangement in leaders dishonesty peddled as social good and ministries to decide what truth can be spoken these people cannot govern themselves how on earth Could they be fit to govern you? Choose another way. Got a link in the show notes. Click and subscribe. I don't think you'll be sorry that you did. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Quick shout out here to HSLAmmo.com. If you are looking for high quality new and remanufactured ammo, this is the place to go. Give them a click, show them some love, then take that ammo and use it to convert your money into skill. Something that will remain with you all your life. It cannot be taken from you. Probably one of the better investments. People are looking at the depreciating dollar going, wow, what can I put this into that's not going to lose value? Training, skill, actually ammo, I don't think is going to lose value either. It's, it's the other precious metals, right? HSLAmmo.com. There's a link in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Check them out and click away. All right, let's, uh, let's not get caught up in the personality of the person who's been named to head up the Disinformation Governance Board, which many, including myself, refer to as the Ministry of Truth. Focus instead, not on her theatrics, not on her... Uh, you know, blatant uh, anti-Trump, you know, basically pro the state must rule everything attitude and focus instead on the fact that the Department of Homeland Security has just admitted openly it has created a ministry of truth. This is a big deal. Got an article here from Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute. Back to the Sedition Act of 1798. He says, for years we were told that social media is privately owned, so its curation cannot be called censorship. That's just management. Then we found out they were working hand-in-glove with government, so the problem became murkier. But now the next step is in place. The federal government has created Disinformation's Governance Board, operating out of the mega-bureaucracy Department of Homeland Security, and headed by an ideological fanatic who loves lockdowns and loathes free, free speech. Will the office be political? (laughs) That's the whole point, says Jeffrey Tucker. We know this from U.S. history. So here's a quick history lesson. The U.S. Constitution was ratified in 1789, complete with the First Amendment to guarantee the right of free speech. Actually, I don't think the Bill of Rights was ratified till 1791, but small difference here. Now, you might think that would be the end of the story, but just nine years later, the very idea of free speech 
got its first test with the Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798. Now, for all the tendencies these days to celebrate or condemn the framers' devotion to human liberty, there were always splits and splits within them. It proved too tempting, even for many among them, to use violence to crush dissent with brazen attacks on free speech. So, under the guise of stopping enemies and shoring up the authority of the federal government, the Sedition Act in particular said, quote, And be it further enacted, that if any person shall write, print, utter, or publish, or shall cause or procure to be written, printed, uttered, or published, or shall knowingly and willingly aid or assist in writing, printing, uttering, or publishing any false, scandalous, and malicious writings against the government of the United States, or either House of the Congress of the United States, or the President of the United States, with intent to defame said government, or either House of the said Congress, or the said President, or to bring them or either of them into contempt or disrepute, or to excite against them or either or any of them, the hatred of the good people of the United States, or to stir up sedition within the United States, or to excite any unlawful combinations therein, for opposing or resisting any law of the United States, or any act of the President of the United States, done in pursuance to any such law, or of the powers in him vested by the Constitution of the United States, or to resist, oppose, or defeat any such law or act, or to aid, encourage, or abet any hostile designs of any foreign nations against the United States, their people, or government, then such person, being thereof convicted before any court of the United States having jurisdiction thereof, shall be punished by a fine not exceeding $2,000, and by imprisonment not exceeding two years. End quote. Wow! Two years in prison for criticizing the president? It happened. It was the law. Now, you might have thought such an action would be impossible given how fresh the words were of the First Amendment. But the impulse of people in power to crack down and stop the free flow of ideas is endemic to statecraft, says Jeffrey Tucker. Do you notice the law doesn't make it illegal to criticize the vice president? That's because he was Thomas Jefferson, the biggest critic of the Federalists. The law also provoked public fury that ended up in a surprise victory for Jefferson as president in 1800. The laws were allowed to expire and the anti-federalists who were more friendly to trade and limits on government came to power while centralists and speech controllers were held at bay for another 60 years until the new challenge came, and then another and another. A new Sedition Act was imposed in 1918 during wartime, and so on it goes. Under this 1798 law today, probably most of social media would be illegal. Well, at least your favorite memes, right? Most books on politics would not be published at all, and yet it happened anyway. And yes, people were prosecuted almost entirely. The newspapers opposed to the ruling party were the ones that were prosecuted. Attacks on free speech are almost always a partisan matter. Jeffrey Tucker says most of us were raised to believe that free speech is one of the most settled principles of law and public policy. We've recoiled at censorships of the past. We acknowledge the freedom to speak as an essential human right. And we're taught the legend and lore of the struggle for it in all our years in school. And all of this is fine until it is actually exercised as it is today, thanks to the mass distribution of communication technology. We're finally getting what we always wanted, the universal right and opportunity to reach the universe of humanity in an instant with thoughts of our own choosing. And it turns out a lot of people don't like it. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says it's utterly bizarre, but true, that vast numbers have lost the conviction that freedom for all is better than the attempt to control. 
He says, we once believed that freedom creates conditions under which truth stands a chance to emerge from the clamor, while the attempt to control ends up politicizing what we are and are not permitted to hear. Yes, freedom does not guarantee any particular result, but it does give good results a fighting chance while reinforcing other important things like human rights. But these days, that's not good enough for some people. He says what's so striking about these debates is that censorship has never been less viable than it is today. Try to suppress in one avenue, it immediately pops up on another one. Make it clear that some ideas are not welcome here, and you inspire an invisible army of champions of that idea to build up yet another venue. You can block, ban, and exclude through known technologies only to have the same pop up in another technology you didn't know about. And herein lies the brilliance of decentralized and highly competitive systems of information sharing and distribution. So consider this. From the end of World War II through the Reagan presidency, there prevailed only three television networks. The government itself exercised the primary influence over the content. These networks begin to think of themselves as public utilities, a ruling class, a protected elite, and they dispensed canons of the civic religion on a daily basis. All of that was blown up in the 1990s. The cartel crumbled, creating an avalanche of speech that only grows in power today despite every attempt to crush it. Now the mainstream big media take up only a small percentage of people's attention relative to the millions of other possible venues. Not even totalitarian regimes have successfully stopped it. And a certain group out there continues to believe that the freewheeling world of information is the cause of the astonishing election results of 2016. Following 18 full months of dismissing and denouncing the eventual winner, while predicting the certainty of an outcome that did not happen, the public credibility of the old line establishment news hit new lows. The revanchists in our midst still want to settle scores, and they're prepared to do that by shredding the First Amendment. The takeover of Twitter by Elon Musk, not to mention the multiplicity of alternative venues, threatens that scheme. Also, it's very possible that the latest and most brazen attempts to shut down debate will lead to a public backlash as they did in 1800. John Stuart Mill was as correct about free speech as he was about pandemic controls. No authority can substitute for the activity, creativity, and adaptability of the human mind. So Jeffrey Tucker says we need systems that celebrate that and not attempt surreptitious attempts or methods, rather, for imposing Orwellian-style thought control. Now, this is a very optimistic note he ends on. He says, ideas are more powerful than armies. And the urge to censor is an implication, an implicit recognition of that. Still, it didn't work in 1798, and it surely cannot work in 2022. I know you're like, okay, so where where am I supposed to be feeling optimistic about this? Well, the fact that you're aware of it for starters. And I don't know. I'm not gonna I'm not trying to put the, the thought in your head, but if something burns in your heart that says, I'm not gonna be silenced, or I'm not gonna have somebody dictate to me this is what I have to believe, and I will only, you know, cling to that belief and nothing else. Ideas really are more powerful than armies. And if, you are fit, or if you're feeding your mind good, ennobling, foundational ideas, it's going to come through in the way that you live your life. This is where I think guys like Andy Frazella just have, they have a terrific take. The only place where I would possibly disagree with him is he's, I think he's still kind of, you know, in, in the mindset of, well, we've got to, you know, elect the right people and be active politically. 
And I'm not going to tell you he's dumb for thinking that. I'm just saying I don't share that faith. I think that uh, politics is so corrupted, it's, it's beyond redemption. But the idea of you being the most excellent person you can be in character, in virtue, in who you are, that makes you an almost unstoppable force because you're putting off freedom everywhere you go. Everywhere. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I would like to recognize the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage as one of the sponsors of this program and thank them for all the help and support that they have given me over the the last couple of years, actually. And I'm telling you, if you're in the state of Idaho or the state of Utah, a lot of folks moving here and trying to find homes, well... This is the po- these are the folks you should talk to. This is the company you should talk to. Heather Turner's team at Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Her NMLS ID is 715386. And Heather brings decades of experience to the table, meaning she can get you the loan that you need at the best rates possible, and more importantly, she can do it quickly. Time counts, because it's still a very competitive market out there. Call her at 435-703-4522, or click the email link I provide in my show notes, for the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. So will the overt attempts to spread government-authorized disinformation be the final straw for lovers of freedom? Got a great article here from Andrew Coy. This is from AmericanThinker.com. The Ministry of Truth is where the rubber meets the road. And Andrew Coy begins with the question, is this the hill that patriots will die on? Is this the moment when MAGA Nation says, hell no, is this the time when the hardworking blue-collar Americans say with a unified voice, we will not comply? Is this the legal case where the Supreme Court acts as if it is the Supreme Court and declares Mr. Biden's newly created Bureau of Disinformation unconstitutional from its inception? Is this the final straw where a clear plurality of Republicans man up and act as the opposition party should and refuse to fund Mr. Biden's Ministry of Truth? Andrew Coy says, I think Americans and the rest of the world will know the answers to these questions soon. And if the answers are yes, well, then we still have a country based on the U.S. Constitution. But if the answers are no, we're done as a democratic republic and the Constitution has no teeth. Now, the Biden regime announced this past week the creation of the Ministry of Truth. According to the Biden goons, the Ministry of Truth is necessary to fight off and thwart misinformation and disinformation. The Biden regime and its henchmen, They and they alone will decide what is truth and facts and what is misinformation and disinformation. Oh, boy. (laughs) This is a horrific and direct attack on the Constitution. Also, it puts citizens on notice that opinions and ideas and editorials and online comments and unapproved newspaper articles that are not government approved are now illegal. Non-approved government speech, thought and writings will become a crime. That's a kind of scary thought, wouldn't you say? What Biden and his brown shirts are doing is exactly what dictators do. They're making it illegal to have a different point of view. The only ideas and thoughts and values allowed will be those of the Biden regime and the deep state apparatus. Now, I just have to do a quick aside here for a moment. Isn't that the epitome, though, of of what the people who are complaining the loudest 
about uh, about you know free speech and the danger that free speech poses to our democracy. What they're really concerned about is, hey, you know, it's uh, it's it's a matter of democracy only works when you agree with us. <laughs> it's not a matter of of them, uh, you know, uh, having give and take and, and recognizing that, uh, yeah, there are going to be differing points of view. When they talk content moderation or they talk about fighting misinformation, they're talking about censorship. And we need to be very, very clear. That's exactly what it is. It's very ominous, too, as Andrew Coy points out in his article, that Biden's people are putting the Ministry of Truth in the Department of Homeland Security, the one that has guns, ammunition, and bombs, all the spying, surveillance, and espionage capabilities to watch over Americans. Biden and his Stasi are serious about making it illegal to have a different point of view from the government's. They're making free thought, free speech, and free press illegal. And in so doing, Mr. Biden has put himself on the same side as Stalin, Hitler, Castro, and Mao. That's not an overstatement, by the way. Chinese uh, or Communist China is pleased with Biden. All of these dictators had in some way their own ministry of truth that did not allow the citizens to think and speak for themselves. Biden and this progressive regime will now make it illegal and thus punishable by fees, forfeiture, and prison time to think and believe and say as Americans wish. George Orwell, in his dystopian novels, 1984 and Animal Farm, predicted this decades ago. What Biden and his progressive party are doing is right out of Orwell's novels. Only dictators limit free speech. Only despots censure different opinions. Only evil human beings don't allow for a different point of view. So Andrew Coy says, make no mistake about this ministry of truth. It's not about misinformation and disinformation. It's about criminalizing speech, thoughts, and ideas that the government, or for that matter, whoever is in power at the moment, does not approve of. The Biden regime and the deep state are the same cabal that's put the January 6th freedom fighters in jail without official charges filed against them or bail being afforded to them. And as Biden does this, Xi Jinping smiles and Stalin nods in approval. When a group of evil people who are in charge of government put American citizens in gulags, which violates the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, then that same government will certainly criminalize speech that has not been approved by government. This isn't a slippery slope. This is a suicidal cliff from the beginning. And he poses some pretty good questions worth considering here. Who's going to decide what's misinformation? The government. Who's going to decide what's disinformation? The Biden regime. Who's going to decide what what speech is illegal? Homeland Security, who's going to decide what the financial fee will be for unauthorized ideas? The deep state. Who's going to decide how long a prison term will be for speaking out loud information opposing the government? The cabal. Now, unfortunately, westernized democracies are beginning to look an awful lot like the CCP in China. Australia looked anything but democratic in the lockdown of citizens who were not vaccinated. And Canada looked a lot like an authoritarian regime in its crackdown on the truckers' convoy. The point here is this is happening and it can happen in America. Andrew Coy says one must wonder how long will it be until Tucker Carlson is arrested for crimes against the state? Is Tucker living on borrowed time? With the creation of the Ministry of Truth, there will certainly be financial punishment and prison time given to citizens who are convicted of misinformation and disinformation. This will happen. This is the purpose 
Will any of these thoughts be a crime of misinformation, disinformation, punishable by incarceration? Listen to these examples. If someone says the vaccine, the lockdowns, the closing of public schools and the social distancing did not work at all and that herd immunity would have done much better. How about to say that the 2020 election was stolen and President Trump actually won? To say Joe Biden and the Biden family have illegal activities going on with the country of China and he and his family have been bribed and thus compromised by China. Or to say illegal activity has been discovered on Hunter Biden's laptop and this illegal activity shows crimes being committed by the Biden crime family. Or to say that there are only two sexes, male and female. To say it's a baby, a human being from conception inside the womb. To say the deep state apparatus in America has used the country of Ukraine to launder illegal money for the elites. And that's the only reason America is interested in backing and protecting Ukraine against Russia. To say that the American government worked in concert with the Ukrainian government to create non-sanctioned biolabs in Ukraine, much like in Wuhan, China. To say the COVID-19 virus came from a weapons lab in Wuhan, China, and that both America and China were working on it together. To say the vaccine is not really a vaccine and at best is a therapeutic. To say the Biden government is corrupt and illegitimate and that Biden has dementia. To say that Hillary Clinton was behind the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax from the beginning. To say that the January 6th Save America rally was actually used by the FBI, CIA, NSA, and Deep State as a false flag to imprison MAGA nation into the gulags. To say Biden should be impeached because of his refusal to to constitutionally protect our southern border from illegal immigration, illegal drug trafficking, and illegal child trafficking. How about this one? To say that our rights come from God and God alone, and that no government can take away these God-given rights. Andrew Coy asks, would these statements now under the Bureau of Disinformation become crimes against the state? And the answer is probably. The Supreme Court had better not uh, be cowards, crooks, or compromised. And the Republican Party had better not be cowards, crooks, or compromised. Both bodies must step up. He says both bodies need to be out early and strong in saying this ministry of truth is illegal and unconstitutional from birth. And Andrew Coy says they must fulfill their obligation to the American citizens and to the Constitution and do the right thing right away, regardless of personal cost, now. He's pretty direct here. He says, this is indeed the hill to die on. This is for sure the time to say, hell no. And it is the precise moment to declare, we will not comply. We will not go quietly into that dark night. He says, it is approaching the time for choosing. Now, again, there's still a lot of reliance on, well, government, we need to fix the problems with government with more government. I'm just going to suggest that you and I should be very clear on what our personal line in the sand is. Draw that line and then stick to it no matter how difficult it becomes. I've seen the unvaccinated do this before. We've got to do it with free speech. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Can you deal with a little bit of discomfort? 
I'm not talking about a dentist drilling on a tooth that hasn't been, uh, you know, numbed. I'm talking about just confronting uncomfortable truths that nonetheless have great application to your ongoing freedom, prosperity, and well-being. Because if you don't have any problem with that, well, please pull up a chair. If you're thinking, well, I don't know, how far how far out in the weeds are we going to go here, Bri? I can just tell you that uh, I will definitely talk about things that make people uncomfortable. And there was a time when I would have apologized. I'm sorry. I'm, I know I'm making you uncomfortable. I'm, I'm getting to the point where, you know what, it's not that I don't care about you, but I care less about the fact that this might alienate some people or it might make some people uncomfortable and more about the fact that there are things that just need to be spoken and if that, if that makes me a kook, if that makes me unpopular, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally okay with being misunderstood because once you're okay with being misunderstood, it frees you. And I'm determined. I'm going to live as a free man to the best of my ability. And I'm encouraging you, wherever, whatever your status in life, whatever, whatever, you, whatever your understanding is at this moment about, you know, does this really matter? I'm going to encourage you to figure out why it matters to live as a free individual and then to, to live as only you can. doesn't mean we're going to be shouting the same slogans and marching in lockstep. It just means we're going to do the best we can no matter the circumstances. And it starts with a decision that's made in your heart and in your mind. I will be free no matter what. The crazy thing about it is people around you will pick up on it. Not because you're, you know, wearing it like a bumper sticker but because you're putting out waves of freedom everywhere you go just by the way that you live your life. So if that doesn't scare you too bad, then I'd say, you know, buckle up and come along for the ride. We've got some fun stuff to discuss this hour. In fact, I want to start with something just because, you know, good advice given at the right time can be an absolute lifesaver. And if someone ever puts you on the spot, hey, give me some good advice. It's kind of like, hey, tell me a funny joke. Uh, I've got to think here for a minute. So, I'm including in today's show and in today's show notes a list of 103 bits of advice that a 70-year-old jotted down for your benefit. And I'm I'm not even clear on the guy's name. I, you know, I'm I'm assuming that it's the same guy who runs all the the different sites here. Um, Kevin Kelly, I believe, is, is the author. And I hope I'm giving correct attribution. But it's 103 bits of advice I wish I had known. Whoever the writer is says, look, today's my birthday. I turned 70 and I've learned a few things so far that might be helpful to others. So for the past few years, I've jotted down bits of unsolicited advice each year. And much much to my surprise, I have more to add this year. So he says, here's my birthday gift to you all. 103 bits of wisdom that I wish I'd known when I was young. Now, I'm not going to share all 103 because I want you to discover some of these for yourself. But this seems like really good advice. So, you know, take what works for you, discard what doesn't. We'll start with this one. About 99% of the time, the right time is right now. Or how about this? No one is as impressed with your possessions as you are. And this one really struck me. Don't ever work for someone you don't want to become. Here's another bit of solid advice. Cultivate 12 people who love you. Because they are worth more than tw- they are worth more than twelve million people who like you. Ooh, I know. The next time you go on social media, that's worth thinking about. Do I really need the dopamine that these clicks and likes and shares are giving me? How about this? Don't keep making the same mistakes. Try to make new mistakes. 
<laughs> that one's actually pretty good. If you decide to stop to listen to a musician or street performer for more than a minute, you owe them a dollar. Anything you say before the word but does not count. Now, now he's right about this. So instead of saying the word but, I recommend say, and at the same time, because it doesn't sound quite as, uh, you know, dismissive as, well, you know, I think you're a great person and everything, but I think you're a great person and everything. And at the same time, the fact that you're holding a knife to my throat makes me feel like maybe we aren't as good of friends as I thought we were. See, that's how it works. How about this one? When you forgive others, they may not notice, but you will heal. Forgiveness is not something we do for others. It's a gift to ourselves. So much truth there. Or this one. Courtesy costs nothing. Lower the toilet seat after use. Let the people in the elevator exit before you enter. Return shopping carts to their designated areas. And when you borrow something, return it in better shape, filled up, cleaned, than when you got it. Here's a really handy one. Whenever there's an argument between two sides, find the third side. Also, efficiency is highly overrated. Goofing off is a highly underrated is highly underrated. Regularly scheduled Sabbath, sabbaticals, vacations, breaks, aimless walks and time off are essential for top performance of any kind. The best work ethic requires a good rest ethic. Maybe it's just me getting older, but that one rings especially true. And I love this one. You've heard me say this one. When you lead, your real job is to create more leaders, not more followers. Here's another sound one. Criticize in private, praise in public. And how about this? Life lessons will be presented to you in the order they are needed. Everything you need to master the lesson is within you. Once you've truly learned a lesson, you'll be presented with the next one. If you are alive, that means you still have lessons to learn. It is the duty of a student to get everything out of a teacher and the duty of a teacher to get everything out of a student. If winning becomes too important in a game, change the rules to make it more fun. Changing rules can become the new game. How about this one? Ask funders for money and they'll give you advice. But ask for advice and they'll give you money. Productivity is often a distraction. Don't aim for better ways to get through your tasks as quickly as possible. Rather, aim for better tasks that you never want to stop doing. Or immediately pay what you owe to vendors, workers, and contractors. They will go out of their ways to work with you first next time. Oh, and this one really hit home. Talk about some good advice. The biggest lie we tell ourselves is, I don't need to write this down because I will remember it. (laughs) Or your growth as a conscious being is measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations you are willing to have. Speak confidently as if you are right, but listen carefully as if you are wrong. How about the consistency of your endeavors, whether it be exercise, companionship, or work, is more important than the quantity. Nothing beats small things done every day, which is way more important than what you do occasionally. And I like this one, just because I appreciate those people who create beauty. Making art is not selfish. It's for the rest of us. And if you don't do your thing, you're cheating us. And here's another sound one shouldn't have to be said, but he says it so beautifully. Never ask a woman if she's pregnant. Let her tell you if she is. Three things you need. The ability to not give up something till it works. The ability to give up something that does not work. 
and the trust in other people to help you distinguish between the two. Or, when public speaking, pause frequently. Pause before you say something in a new way, pause after you've said something you believe is important, and pause as a relief to let listeners absorb details. Sorry, this is me pausing. I'm <laughs> just taking the advice as I get it. How about this? There is no such thing as being on time. You are either late or you are early. Your choice. Now, I would beg to differ with him for this, but this is because I am a little bit OCD because all the years I've worked in radio as a slave to the clock, you tell me to be somewhere at 7 o'clock, and it's not a matter of, oh, okay, it's 5 to 7, Brian's here. No, it's like 7 o'clock is in 3, 2, 1, knock, 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 I'm here. I know it's weird. And I, I wish I could help myself, but it's, it's seriously, it's like an obsession. I just, I'm not just going to be on time. I'm going to be to the second on time. That's why I have this atomic solar wristwatch, so I don't know exactly what's what on time is. Again, I admit it, I'm weird. How about this bit of advice? Ask anyone you admire. Their lucky breaks happened on a detour from their main goal. So embrace detours. Life is not a straight line for anyone. And the best way to get a correct answer on the Internet is to post an obviously wrong answer and then just wait for someone to correct you. Spend as much time crafting the subject line of an email as the message itself because the subject line is often the only thing people read. And here's one to remember as things are, you know, seemingly coming apart around us. Don't wait for the storm to pass. Dance in the rain. I'm going to stop there and I'll just let you, you know, explore the rest of these 103 Bits of advice, Kevin Kelly says he wishes he had known, and uh, these every one of these is a gem, definitely worth considering, and so that's why I'm sharing them with you. You can discover them for yourselves by clicking on the link I provide in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Hey, if you scroll down to the bottom of those notes, you'll notice a big subscribe button. Mash that button, give me your email address, and I'll just drop a copy of those notes in your email inbox each and every day that I do this program, free of charge. Just some more great reading for when you have some spare time. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout-out here to SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com. If you live in southern Utah, you can actually stop by their store at 779 South Bluff Street. If you're, uh, if you're looking to shop from afar, well, I would encourage you to click on the link I provide in the show notes. Again, SewingAndQuiltingCenter.com. Look, sewing machines have come a long way. My mom, I grew up with, with, my mom always had a really nice, I think she had a nice Bernina machine or something. Anyway, um, she was able to sew stuff and we wore homemade clothes to school occasionally as kids. She also had an old treadle sewing machine, the kind of like you pump with your foot to work the uh, the sewing machine. Kind of a fascinating thing. I've always thought, well, that would be a really great preparedness thing, you know, if in the, in the event that it's a lights out scenario and there's, there's, you know, no electricity, that'd be a great way to go. But just from a practical standpoint... Those machines have come so far, and even an entry-level machine at a couple hundred bucks will do more than Grandma's sewing machine did back in the day. And best of all, Sewing and Quilting Center can train you how to use that machine. Now, if you're into more advanced stuff, if you're into embroidery or you want to do long-arm quilting, they've got those machines too. I mean, the sky's the limit. But if you're looking for a company that will back up what they sell with, with service as well as teaching you how to use the machine, 
Look no further than sewingandquiltingcenter.com. And again, if you're if you're serious about preparedness, this is one of those things you might want to consider having on hand. Not only the machine, but the skills to put it to use. So, I don't want to sound like I'm being pessimistic here, but there are a lot of people still looking around, focusing on politics as the cure for all the craziness that's going on around us. Even looking to the midterm elections, I know there are a lot of people feeling like, well, this is the time. The Republicans are going to surge back and we're going to put those pesky Democrats in place. And as as much as I want to admit, there's a part of me that would like to see this just because uh, uh, from from the moment that uh, the Biden administration took office, they have been just grinding us, trying to to bring us into submission. And this whole new Ministry of Truth thing, I believe, is is a preemptive way to, you know, prevent Russian disinformation from somehow upsetting the midterm elections, which is what I'm sure the excuse will be when they're having their heads handed back to them. But I'd like to share an essay from Paul Rosenberg. This was written back in 2015. So this was uh, this was just at the beginning of the 2016 election cycle and all the hype. And as you hear people pushing about the election cycle, keep in mind, you're going to have large numbers of people lining up to pour their time and their money into the sewer of politics where it's going to be lost forever. And the message that Paul Rosenberg had back then, and I think is very true today, is this system will not be fixed, period. This is Rome in 460 A.D. The rulers, as in Rome, are liars, mad, or drunk, or in these days, drugged, or all three. The fall of Rome, he says, was far more complex than what we learned in school. But through all the many years of its decline, Rome was full of well-meaning people trying to reform and save it. And by the way, he says, among the people who tried the hardest to keep the Rome game going were the Goths. They tried hard to keep Rome operational, and they failed too. So what he's saying here is, once ruling hierarchies get beyond a certain point, they cannot be reformed. And he says, I am sure the modern West is beyond that point. And he asks a few questions to drive this home. Do we really believe that central bankers will just lay down their monopolies? Can we seriously expect hundreds of trillions of dollars of debt to be liquidated without any consequences? Do we actually believe that politicians will walk away from their power and apologize for abusing us? Do we really think that the corporations who own Congress will just give up the game that's enriching them? Does anyone seriously believe the NSA is going to say, gee, that Fourth Amendment really is kind of clear and everyone we, everything we do violates it, so everyone here is fired and will the last person out please turn off the lights? And does anyone believe that the military-industrial complex will stop encouraging war or that corporate media will stop worshipping the state or that your local sheriff will apologize for training his cops to be vicious beasts? Do we really believe that public school systems will ever stop louding the state that pays all its bills? Now, he says, I could go on, but I think my point is made. This system will never allow itself to be seriously reformed. Trying to fix this is like trying to revive a long-dead corpse. Now, understand what he's saying here. He's saying the systems that rule the West will fail. Whether or not wider Western civilization civilization fails rather is up to us. Do we have civilization inside of us, or was it all just a pattern that we followed? So he says, I think an honest look around is all we need to really assess this this situation. And he says, I'm not trying to play the doomer here, but a few bits of support seem to be in order. So I'm going to start with a quote from a man named Salvian, 
who lived in the Roman Empire a bit before 460 A.D. Quote, Nobody thought of the state's expenses. Nobody thought of the state's losses because the cost was not felt. The state itself sought how it might squander what it was already scarcely able to acquire. The heaping up of wealth which had already exceeded its limit was overflowing even into trifling matters. End quote. That sound vaguely familiar? All right. Salvian continues, quote, What can be said of the present-day situation? That old abundances have gone from us. The resources of former times have gone. We are already, pro- we are already poverty-stricken, yet we do not cease to be spendthrift. End quote. Okay, here's another observation from Salvian. The state has fallen upon such evil days that a man cannot be safe unless he is wicked. <sighs> that one hits home. And Paul Rosenberg says, with this last passage in mind, please consider John Corzine, Lois Lerner, and Hillary Clinton. Then think about Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, and Chelsea Manning. Who among these six told the truth, and who among them lied? Which have suffered for their actions, which have not? And which, uh, what of the British elites who seem devoted to chasing underage girls? When do they go to jail? By the way, you'd realize Prince, uh, is it, what's his name, Prince Andrew? Was stripped of even more of his uh, royal honors over this last week. We know all about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Oh boy, do we ever. We know more than we ever wanted to know. But nothing much has been said about uh, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. And certainly nothing was ever said about the clients that she was supposedly procuring these underage girls for. So the point here that Paul Rosenberg is getting to, shall we really keep pretending that these systems have anything to do with rightness? At some point, doesn't that become embarrassing? He says, as I've written before, back in the 1960s, I was surrounded by well-meaning people who tried very hard to reform the system and to make life better. And now the very same problems they were devoted to solving are the problems du jour. War, poverty, welfare, racism, and police brutality. The very same list. Fifty years of their efforts fully wasted. And so he asks, shall we really continue the waste? At some point... Doesn't patting ourselves on the back for accomplishing nothing become ridiculous? Now, he says, I think it's very important, to make, very important, rather, to make this last point clearly. Even if this system doesn't crash for another century, everything done within it is a waste. Now, I'm letting that one sink in. The decent people of Earth deserve better than this barbarity, says Paul Rosenberg, much better. He says, not long ago, with these ideas in mind, I wrote this to a friend. It is fully corrupt from top to bottom, and I don't believe there are any good guys inside waiting for the right time. It is over. I withdraw. I forsake them. I refuse to waste my energy on their politics. Humanity deserves better, and I aim to do my part in building it. I will shed no tears when this system finally collapses. It will be a liberation. From here on, I'll build new things and will have nothing to do with the old. My friend, he says, a good man, agreed. The good and productive people of this world deserve something better than abusive dominators that seek to control their every move. And we are more than capable of building it. But he says we have to stop waiting for permission from the lords of the status quo. They will never give us permission to bypass their domination. Wow, is that ever true? We have to make our own decisions and simply start building something better. We are able, and this system is unworthy of our efforts. Now would be a very good time to start. 
By the way, as a follow-up to this, I am hoping to have Keith Kelsch back on my program tomorrow talking about some steps he is taking to build something better, starting right there in your local community. I hope you'll tune in. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, I'm going to hit that third rail pretty hard today. I know you're not supposed to touch it, but uh, in looking at the uh, Ukraine situation, I have no ill will toward the people of Ukraine. I think they are caught in a very hopeless situation. I don't have nearly as much sympathy, though, for the uh, political leadership in, in Ukraine, nor the political leadership in the United States, nor even the political leadership in Russia. I just have to say I'm very curious that there is so much effort and so much energy being put into making sure that only one narrative of what's happening in Ukraine can come through. I mean, come on, Nancy Pelosi flew over and met with Zelensky. And I mean, he's he is being held up as as like a cartoon character, a comic book character. I'm sure if they were to, to do another, you know, uh, um, what's it called? Uh, Sorry, I'm I'm not I'm really not into uh, you know the um, the Avengers <laughs> so much the the, the DC or, or Marvel you know comic universe, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a Zelensky alternately uh, going between sainthood and you know he's out there you know going pure Hulk you know I don't know. I know there's a lot of corruption going on, and Caitlin Johnstone says it so well. Western civilization is being organized around winning U.S. InfoWars. She pulls no punches. She says the U.S. centralized empire's use of propaganda, censorship, and Silicon Valley algorithm manipulation is the single most urgent issue of our time because it's what prevents attention from, from being drawn to all other issues. And all signs indicate it's set to get much, much worse. Now, she says, I need to reiterate once again that the censorship we're seeing about Ukraine is of a whole new kind than anything we've seen before. There's no pretense that it's being done to save lives or protect democracy. This time around, it's just we need to control the thoughts that people think about this war. Once it was accepted that misinformation and disinformation must be curtailed from above, government and tech institutions took that as license to decide what's true and what's false on our behalf. And we know this because they're now just openly propagandizing and censoring us about a war. And she gives, for instance, the, the BBC's story on, um, you know, the, the ghost of Kiev turning out to be a legend. Well, it wasn't really true, but, you know, we went ahead and promoted it anyways, because when Russia does it, it's lies and disinformation. But when Ukraine does it, it's folklore and something to boost morale in a time when it's desperately needed. Now, Caitlin Johnston says you didn't know that you were granting government and tech institutions authority to decide what's true and false on your behalf when you agreed that it's fine for them to work together to censor and sanctify official narratives about COVID. But it turns out that's what was happening. And I would add, you know, the same people who lied and lied and lied about everything else are now telling us the truth about Ukraine. Right. Okay. She says, it looks pretty obvious in retrospect now, though, doesn't it? 
You can't regulate disinformation and misinformation without first determining what it is, and you can't determine what it is without assigning someone the authority to make those distinctions. There are no beneficent, impartial, and omniscient entities who can be trusted to become objective arbiters of absolute reality on our behalf. There are only flawed human beings who act in their own interest, which is why we're now being censored and propagandized about a war. In literally the very next instant after being given the authority to decide what's true and false on our behalf regarding COVID, that same government, media, and tech institutions launched into World War II levels of propaganda and censorship over a war that we're not even officially in. It was like they all said, oh, good, we get to do that now, finally. And the consensus that it was fine to launch into a shocking information lockdown about Ukraine was already formed and prepped for rollout the day Russia invaded. It was taken as a given that they had that authority. By the way, just as a couple of interesting asides, do you realize that uh, the U.S., uh, the the shipments of of weapons and so forth to Ukraine, that was all proposed and all, uh, all outlined as far back as January 19th of this year. In the event that Russia invades, this is what we want to do. In other words, this this is something that has been in the pipeline for a while. And now, uh, what's his name? Adam Kissinger. Anyway, he's 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 trying to do an authorized use of force um, memorandum or something, whatever resolution. The same thing that they used to to invade Iraq. Same thing used to invade Afghanistan. Only this would would allow NATO personnel, including U.S. troops to go on the ground and fight Russia in Ukraine. Oh, no, that's not escalating. That's just simply helping our allies. And uh, I'm sorry. I I, I know I'm, I'm stepping on people's toes when I point this out, but in my opinion, there are no good guys in this one. None. There are a lot of innocent people on all sides that are suffering, but there are no good guys running the show. So if you're going to question something, you might as well be questioning this. Back to Caitlin Johnstone's article. She says, over the last two years, you'd get called an anti-vaxxer and worse if you said you didn't think government-tied monopolistic megacorporations should be restricting speech about COVID measures that affect everyone. But it turns out those who issued these warnings were 100% correct. It's clear now as we see what we're becoming that granting these powerful institutions authority to sort out fact from fiction on our behalf is far more dangerous than misinformation about a virus ever was. Now here we are with the empire setting up disinformation boards while it escalates aggressions with Russia by the day and prepares to do the same with China in the not-too-distant future. Our whole civilization is being organized around winning U.S. propaganda wars. Now, she says censorship is bad because free speech is how society orients itself toward truth. Course corrects when it's going astray. It holds power to account. And this is true whether censorship is by the government or by tech oligarchs. Only morons act like this is some weird right-wing thing. People say freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of reach. Well, she says the answer to this is yes, it always does, you idiot. If people who support status quo power have access to the largest voice amplification platforms, while critics of status quo power don't, this kills the very purpose of free speech protections. Free speech protections are enshrined exactly because unrestricted speech puts a check on power. 
If critics of, of status quo power structures are being banned from the platforms where people get their voices heard, well, this function has been nullified. So you can't say that you, your society has free speech if critics of status quo orthodoxies aren't free to speak where they will be heard for exactly the same reasons you can't say that people have free speech in Saudi Arabia as long as no one hears their criticisms of the government. Caitlin Johnstone says, because free speech is designed to put a check on status quo power, it is exactly the voices who criticize the status quo that must be protected. Now, some of these voices will be unpalatable. But the alternative is permitting a ministry of truth to decide what dissent is permissible, an authority that's certain to be abused. She says, speech isn't free if it isn't free in all the areas where people congregate to speak. If only mainstream supporters of the status quo have free access to all platforms, well, then free speech isn't happening. And power has a lot more ability to do what it likes unchecked by the public. Saying it's fine because people are still free to go to Gab or Truth Social to voice their criticisms of establishment Ukraine narratives or whatever is the same as saying it's fine because people can still speak their criticisms of the government into a hole in the ground. Free speech is not happening. Now, she says consent for this was given when we allowed these powers to assume complete narrative authority over what constitutes misinformation. But she says it's never too late to revoke consent, though. It just means the fight to pry our voices out of the hands of our rulers is going to be a tough slog. I don't know if that strikes you as, boy, that's that's pretty radical. I don't know, man. That sounds like, uh, you know, that's way out there, away from the mainstream. But I would ask you to consider, what if the mainstream has been grievously misled? What then? I mean, do you still want to find safety in the herd? For a lot of people, the answer is going to be, yeah. You know, that's that's where, you know, at least I can blend in and the chances of getting whacked are, you know, a lot lower if I'm just running, you know, right in the middle of the herd. But I suspect you would not be listening to programs such as this one if that was how your mind ran or, how, or where your heart was leading you. I suspect that you understand that uh, speaking the truth may not be getting easier, but it's becoming more necessary than ever. And this is the time where we really need to sort ourselves out as individuals and decide at what point am I going to stand up and say, I can't go along with this. Even if it appears that the vast majority of, you know, the public or the community is going along with it. Does this open up some risk? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you have a business, you might find yourself boycotted. If you, you know, have family or friends, they may turn their backs on you. You may lose your standing among, you know, certain circles in the community, possibly in your church. That's a big deal. But the bigger question is, how well acquainted are you with your conscience? And how far are you willing to go to make sure that you and your conscience are in harmony? I know how I would answer that question, but I'll leave it up to you to determine how you would answer it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I want to thank LifesavingFoods.com for being one of my sponsors. I bang the drum pretty hard for food storage, and everything that I'm seeing indicates that uh, 
people who have acted on this are going to find a cause to celebrate at some point that they not only heeded the message, but uh, they acted and, and took the steps necessary to have a reserve for a time where things might be scarce or things might be, you know, in, in very short supply or just flat out not available. If you're one of those people, you know, I congratulate you for, for picking up on it. I know there are others who are wavering, I don't know, is it as bad as, as uh, we say? And I, I get it. You know, talk of food shortages are enough to make anybody nervous, including myself. But I, I don't feel as though I have an option of just, well, I'll soft pedal this and we won't talk about it because it makes some people uncomfortable. No, I'll be very, uh, very blunt about this. You need to have food storage. Now, the fact I have a sponsor who sells food storage, I mean, that's great. If you, if you would go through them, I would appreciate it. If you don't, still, you need to have food storage. You need to be self-reliant. In fact, let me pose this question to you. If, if there was a food shortage coming, would you rather see it coming or would, would you rather just be taken by surprise? Oh, look, a food shortage. I better run down and get what I need. You can see what I'm illustrating here, right? Because when everybody else has that same realization, there will not be anything to go run down and pick up from the store. Brandon Smith, writing for alt-market.us, has an article about food shortages in the next six months. The globalists are telling us what happens next. He says, in mid-2007, the Bank for International Settlements, the central bank of central banks, released a statement predicting an impending Great Depression caused by a credit market implosion. That same year, the International Monetary Fund also published warnings of subprime woes leading to wider economic strife. Now, Brandon Smith says, I started writing alternative economic analysis only a year earlier in 2006, and he says, I immediately thought it was strange that these massive globalist institutions with far-reaching influence on the financial world were suddenly starting to sound a lot like those of us in the liberty movement. Now, this was 16 years ago, so many people reading this uh, might not even remember, but in 2007, the alternative media had already been warning about an impending deflationary crash in U.S. markets and housing for some time. And not surprisingly, the mainstream media was always there to deny all of our concerns as doom-mongering and conspiracy theory. Less than a year later, the first companies of Washington derivatives began to announce they were on the verge of bankruptcy, and then everything tanked. The media response, well, they made two very bizarre claims simultaneously. No one could have seen this coming, or we saw this coming a mile away. He says many mainstream journalists scrambled to position themselves as the soothsayers of the day, as if they said all along the crash was imminent, yet there were only a handful of people who actually did call it, and none of them were in the MSM. Also ignored was the fact that the BIS and IMF had published their own predictions well before the crash but the media pretended as if they did not exist. Now, Brandon Smith says, in the alternative media, we watch the statements and open admissions of the globalists very carefully because they are not in the business of threat analysis. Rather, they are in the business of threat synthesis. That is to say, if something goes very wrong in the world economically, central bankers and money elites with aspirations of a single centralized economic authority for the world are always found to have had a hand in that disaster. And for some reason, they like to tell us about what they are about to do before they do it. So the idea that globalists artificially create economic collapse events will, of course, be criticized as conspiracy theory. But it is a fact. For more information on the reality of deliberate financial sabotage and the order out of chaos ideology of globalists, 
He has a couple of articles he recommends. These are articles he wrote. One is uh, Fed one meeting away from creating a doomsday sinkhole. And the second is what is the Great Reset and what do the globalists actually want? Now, the Great Reset agenda proposed by World Economic Forum head Klaus Schwab is just one example of the many discussions hidden in plain sight by globalists concerning their plans to use economic and social decline as an opportunity to quickly establish a new one-world system based on socialism and technocracy. He says the primary problem with discerning what the globalists are planning is not in uncovering their secret agendas. They tend to openly discuss their agendas if you know where to look. No, the problem is in separating the admissions from the disinformation, the lies from the truth. This requires matching up globalist white papers and statements to the facts and evidence at hand in the real world. So he says, let's look specifically at the food shortage problem in detail. So a week ago, there was a torrent of press releases from global institutions, all mentioning the exact same concern, food shortages within the next three to six months. Brandon Smith says the statements line up very closely with my own estimates as I've been warning regularly about impending dangers of inflation leading to food rationing and supply chain disruptions. The IMF, the BIS, the World Bank, the UN, the Rockefeller Foundation, the World Economic Forum, Bank of America, and even Biden himself are all predicting a major food crisis in the near term, and it is not coincidence that the policies of these very institutions and the actions of puppet politicians that work with them are causing the crisis they're now predicting. That is to say, it's easy to predict a disaster when you create the disaster. Now, the claim is that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is the primary cause, but he says that's a distraction from the real issue. Yes, sanctions against Russia will eventually lead to less food supply, but the globalists in the media are purposely ignoring the bigger threat, which is currency devaluation and price inflation created by central banks, pumping out tens of trillions of dollars in stimulus packages to prop up too-big-to-fail corporate partners. Come on, in 2020 alone, the Fed created over $6 trillion from nothing and airdropped it into the economy through COVID welfare programs. Add to that the many trillions of dollars the Fed has printed since the credit crash in 2008. It has been a nonstop dollar destruction party, and now the public is starting to feel the consequences. Now, lucky for the central bankers that COVID struck and Russia invaded Ukraine because now they can deflect all the blame for the inflationary calamity they've engineered onto the pandemic and onto Putin. Inflation hit 40-year highs in the U.S. well before Russia invaded Ukraine, but let's consider the ramifications of that war and how it affects the food supply. He says the Russian invasion certainly disrupts Ukrainian grain production, which makes up around 11% of the world's total wheat market. Russia also maintains a 17% share, and together, these two nations feed a large swath of third-world nations and parts of Europe with 30% of wheat and barley exports, 19% of corn exports, 23% of canola exports, and 78% of sunflower exports. It is the sanctions on Russia that are the problem well beyond Ukraine, though, as Russia produces around 20% of global ammonia and 20% of global potash supplies. Now, these are key ingredients to fertilizers used in large-scale industrial farming. Farmers are estimating an overall price spike of around 10% in food markets, but Brandon Smith says, I think that's very conservative. He says, I'm already seeing overall price increases of at least 20% from six months ago. And I expect there to be another 30% in price hikes before this year is over. In other words, we are looking at 50% in average increases in 2022. That's a little bit daunting, huh? 
official government information da- infra- inflation data rather, and CPI cannot be trusted. Double whatever numbers they give and you'll be much closer to the truth. The inflation rate used by st- ShadowStats.com calculated using methods once applied by the U.S. government in the 1980s before they adjusted their models to hide the data supports his position so far. And the expectation among U.S. agricultural experts is that China will fill the void when Russian supplies disappear. But it's a mistake to make this assumption. China's crackdown on COVID infections has reached levels so bizarre that he says, I have to ask the question, are there lockdowns really about COVID or are they hiding something else? The lockdowns have resulted in food shortages across China as supply chains become strained and manufacturing becomes shut in many cases. Why? This is a story not many Westerners are hearing about, though. And Chinese exports have essentially been frozen. He says, in fact, this is so important, I think it needs emphasis. Over one in five container ships in the world are now backed up in Chinese ports due to their COVID lockdowns. This is incredible. Why would they do this over a virus that we know is not dangerous to the majority of people? He says, I would suggest the possibility that they may already be engaging in an economic war that many Americans and Europeans don't even realize is going on. This may be a beta test of a shutdown of exports to the U.S. and Europe, or maybe it's an incremental shutdown meant to become permanent. Bottom line, don't rely on China to fill export needs for fertilizer ingredients or anything else as sanctions on Russia continue. The idea here is, look, controlling the food supply has been a key to every modern authoritarian regime in history. It's how you control the population. And the mainstream media, once again, is ignoring any potential economic threat. Specifically, they're denying the notion of food shortages as anything you should be worried about. And he says, why listen to a group of people that are always wrong on these types of events? They benefit most from such disasters, and they have the most influence when it comes to triggering crisis. So the bottom line here, preparedness today costs nothing tomorrow. Lack of preparedness today costs everything tomorrow. Get prepared for the end of affordable and easily available food before this year is out. This is The Brian Hyde Show.